Welcome to Season 3 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 49, Creature Comforts. Today, we are joined by Roberta Taylor, the designer of Octopus Garden, The Red Bernoose, Algeria 1857, Shadows of the Academy, Sherwood Showdown, and of course... Creature Comforts by KTBG, aka Kids Table Board Games. Thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. It's exciting to be here. <laughs> Sweet. And as we always start our episodes, I always ask the question of how did you get into the gaming industry? Oh boy, that's a that's an interesting one. I started designing games as a way to keep my mind off. This is like. 13 years ago, I was working in a job that was just going sideways really badly. And I had a half hour commute each way on empty highways, like empty. We'd see more bears than cars. And so you drive to work and drive home from work, just be like stewing over all the bad things that had gone down that day. And so um, through Board Game Geek, I, I found some little design prompt that someone had posted and kind of started playing around with that and realized like this was a interesting. I liked it. And it kept my brain from sort of focusing on this other stuff. Um, and and so, you know, it was like messing around with this. But of course, that's everything has to start somewhere. And uh, before you know it, I had, you know, met other designers and, and designed Octopus's Garden, which got um, encouraged to enter into a brand new game design uh, award at the time, the Canadian Game Design of the Year Award, um, which it won, uh, much to my complete and utter shock. I was like, what? Yeah, it was really cool. And and that's where I got my first, um, you know, first offer of publication and sort of a taste for it then. And um, I've been slowly working at building my skills and creating other projects over the years. And um, actually this July finally took the giant leap of leaving my day job and trying this out full time. So it's, it's been a long road. Wow. Congratulations. What led you to decide that this was the time? Um, I, I had the combination of a stress a great job that I love, but that was really stressful and so much opportunity coming up in the board game realm that, and I was over, I I had to start saying no to board game projects. I'm like, wait, no, like if I'm ever going to do this, now's the time. Like this is, this is obviously a a good time to, to give it a shot. And so I, uh, I have so I'm, I'm good for a year. And if I, you know, it's like, that's enough time to sort of see if I can get, get it enough things in motion to make a go of it so that's so amazing well i hope it goes well and it ends up being more than just a year (laughs) me too thank you (laughs) of course all right so we're talking about creature comforts would you mind explaining first how you play the game but then also like where the inspiration came from for sure so creature comforts is um at its core, it's it's I guess a worker placement game, but it's got this mechanic where every place that you can put your workers um, has to be activated by a different combination of dice. You know, a pair, a run, anything, two dice totaling five or less, whatever the different things are. Um, and so, in a round, players first have two personal family dice that match their little meeple color that they roll, and that's like little 
knowledge ahead of time. So oh, I rolled a two and a three. Okay, well, that's good to know. And then they put all their four little family members out um, throughout the valley. And then um, somebody rolls four um, shared dice. And then on your turn, you use those six, your own two and the other four, to try to make sure. So if this guy needed a run and this guy needed a pair, you know, maybe I can do that. Maybe I don't have the right dice for that. And and you're sort of deciding which to prioritize. And then any little critters that you sent out that didn't succeed, they get a lesson learned, which is just a plus or minus one to a subsequent a dice roll in a subsequent round. So um, it's meant to be um, not particularly punitive. There's this little sort of push your luck mechanic. You can play it really safe or you can spread yourself really thin. Um, and then as players, what they're doing in those places is gathering resources which they're then using to build different comforts to make their den the coziest den um, for winter so you can make a loaf of bread or a pot of soup or a rocking chair um, different things like that Um, and so that's kind of a high level view of the game there's a little bit more going on there than that but that's sort of the big picture Um, and as to how I was inspired to design it or whatever I I had. So years and years and years ago, when my kids were still little, we um, spent a couple years living in um, a very, very small 300 people remote Northern indigenous community. Um, I, I'm, it was in Northern BC. I could see Alaska from my living room window. Um, And the the thing about living in that community was it's still, people were still living much more seasonally than um, if you live in an urban center. And so, you know, when it was raining out in October, people are running out or getting the boats and going because the cockles were ready. And in the spring, you know, oh, it's a perfect day to go get cedar bark or the oolicans are running. So everyone's at the river fishing. Like, even though people, there's teachers and there's all the different professions there, they're still living closer to that. And I thought that was really neat to experience. And I, I sort of had that in my head about that disconnect we have from the seasons um, when I was thinking about this game. And, and it, it got designed sort of in stages over a number of years. And, and I'd hauled it around with myself just here and there and pull it out, put it back in the shelf. And um. Shortly before I um, showed it to the folks from KTBG, I had pulled it out and decided I was going to like completely take it apart and rebuild it. Specifically, it felt to me like a game that um, could fit a lot of the principles of cozy game design and that I had sort of recently read about from the video game world. So I, I, I looked at that whole design through this new lens and it came together um, and I was really unsure. Like, is this, is this working? Is this got enough going on? And, um, and that, but I had, I had reached out to Helena and I was like, could you just look at this design for me? I'd really like your input on it. Like, does it need more work? Should I put it away for good? Like, where is it at? Um, and, and so then we ended up sitting down together and of course she just, she, she saw the potential there um, that I was getting too close to it to see anymore. And she's like, no, this is great. I love it. We want to do this. So, yeah. That's, that's so funny. So it wasn't even like you pitched. You just like reached out to her as like a friend and asked her opinion. Like, tell me about your relationship with her. Yeah. So I have 
had the privilege when I first started being interested in game design in and being asked to join um, a, a group that doesn't exactly exist anymore of Canadian game designers that all met. We just had a forum online. We were spread all over the world and um, where we just shared everything we were learning. And and that, and that's where I actually met um, Josh Capel. Um, he was a part of that. Um, and so I, I knew, and I talked to them, like sort of see them on Facebook or whatever. I mean, don't live anywhere near. Um, but I knew that they were going to be at the gathering of friends, which is where I, um, we sat down together cause I go there every year and, um, I knew that, you know, she's doing a publishing company and, and we had enough interactions kind of here and there that I, I figured I could. I could trust her to like give me an honest answer. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay. So I'm going to take a pause and say the gathering of friends. Would you mind explaining that to any designers or listeners that haven't heard that before? Because it actually hasn't come into conversation in all my episodes. We're on 49. So wow. I know <laughs> for sure. So the gathering of friends is um, a little game design, I guess you'd call it retreat or convention um that's um been held for i think it's getting close to 30 years now it was started by alan moon the designer of ticket to ride and some of his buddies years and years ago um and it's it's kind of invite only so i was really lucky to get included in a in a group of invitations a number of years ago because they like to keep it small and there's like Unlike a big convention, there's no vendor booths. There's just a ballroom and people playing board games for like a week. Um, and and so it, you get to know people because the expectation is that people try to come back every year. So um, it, it really does become people that you look forward to seeing every single year in this sort of strange but really awesome context. Yeah, I was always amazed. It sounded like a secret society that wasn't so secret that like everyone wanted to be a part of, but like you couldn't because you had to be invited. And I'm not going to lie. I'm currently jealous and would love an invite someday. But that's amazing that that's how this happened for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really just I think serendipity, all these different things that line up of, you know, someone that you know and but I think one of the things I've learned is, is that the board game industry is really not very big and and so even if a person like can't get to this or that specific event you like usually it, you know somebody who knows the person you want to talk to um and and so it's it's nice in that sense that even if you know someone's very new to it it it's not hard to find people who can who can help you out with what you're trying to do or whatever I totally agree that's one of the reasons I love this industry so much everyone is very willing to like help each other out and put themselves out there which is really great Mm -hmm. so you had that conversation while you were at the gathering what was next like how did you move forward from there so basically they they said like I was like is it do I need to finish it? Like what's, and, and basically they're like, this is, this is awesome. Like they took, they just said, give us your files. And then they started doing their magic. I have to say, I've never met someone as brilliant at developing board games as that team. Um, as far as just honing in on, you know, this doesn't need changing. We want more of this and this needs a teeny bit of balancing. Um, 
in the game, there's currently a set of um, cards of the different travelers that come to stay at the inn in the village. And so every round, there's a new sort of special ability or whatever that comes up um in my original yeah. take at the game that those had all been bears and while i still love the idea of them all being bears it's way more interesting the way that they've done it right and so really an eye for pulling that stuff out and giving all sorts of players things to love in the design for sure what kind of changes happened during the design and the development process like was there anything huge walk me through that um, by the time that, that we got it to them, the, the changes were not really huge. Um, they, they did lots of little balancing. And then I think they really grasped the story I was trying to tell. And, and so, you know, I, I don't remember like how many comforts I had and, and they, they went through and, and added some and then like, suggested where there's really good synergies like let's have the socks and the skates work together i don't even know if that's a true one the socks might not go with the skates but you know like some of these these where they score off each other and stuff like that and just really made sure that was really tight but ultimately it was it was not anything huge um which you know is kind of nice because i know i've had designer friends where they've handed a game to a company and it's come back unrecognizable. And, and I, I felt like absolutely everything they did was so in line with my vision and I just love it all. That is a really nice thing to hear because I also have heard from so many designers where they didn't even recognize their game. And I've had a game that came back and I was like, well, they made a lot of changes. So when I teach the game, I teach it as like, (laughs) instead of house rules, like designer rules (laughs) but no that's so funny well I'm glad that that worked out for you and there weren't too many changes but um so like let's talk about the board and everything going on Mm because a worker placement game there is normally quite a few things that you can do and I know you have like the different uh spot that you just talked about where it's a different animal that you can go to it has a different power you have the different seasons that have their own cards and then you have cards on the side you have a lot going on (laughs) Let's talk about all of it. For sure. Yeah. So you've got some sort of main areas. You have the the two season cards at the top and the little river with the dial that rotates every round where you can get your basic resources. So um, the, the sort of the forest, the meadow and the river. So you're getting rock or wood or berries or whatever. Um, then you have the inn that's different every month. And there's usually two things going on there. There's usually a once around special effect that is like, Affects everyone, everyone yeah. give, give a good to someone else. And if you do, you get a book or something that's like nice and, and cheerful. And then there's usually, um, depending what die you put with it, either the ability to make a trade that's a really good deal or to gain something that's harder to get. Um, or to discard a card to get something good or, or whatever. So kind of little bonus trading or resort. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. And then at the bottom of the board, there's the owl's nest, which is where you go to get comfort. So, um, you know, the owl knows, has the books of plans and can help you out with your scheming. So if you want to know how to make a pot of soup, you go there and you get the card that tells you how to make soup. Um, and then there's... 
two more spots. One is a little a little market spot where you can always go to do trading because one of the things we really leaned into was a sense of abundance. And, and if you can't get you what you want, you can trade for it all the time, like makes it fairly easy. And then the other spot you can go um, is where you can get little upgrades um, and they are kind of like you can play a whole game without ever going there and ever buying one and they're either things that give you scoring or bonuses or they're little they call um glades little spots that become another location that people can activate with one of those um, family dice that belong to them when they're doing their turn and if you have a little apple orchard and someone puts their die there to activate the apple orchard you actually get an apple too so it's just like little win-win things that you can build out um and and the nice thing about that is, like I said, you can play the whole game and completely ignore that section. It adds some fun. But if you're playing like with little kids or new new gamers, you could completely just be like, don't worry about that. It's not going to hurt you. You can win without going there. So, yeah. <laughs> and then was it your decision to make the two different types of like pools of dice? Because I know we have like our own for our little creature and then you have kind of the shared dice. So initially in my first takes at the design, there was these six dice and and each player, there was one that was in each player color. And if, if um, you could then, if it was your die that had something you could manipulate it or whatever, and it, I'm, I'm pretty confident when I say, it's been a while and I do not have the world's greatest memory. I'm pretty sure it was Josh Capel who suggested making that, like leaning into that even more and being like, people have their own too. And then there's these shared ones. Um, because we realized that having that foreknowledge before you put your critters out in the different resource gathering locations, like if there's a spot that wants um, two dice totaling 11 or over and you roll two ones, you know that your odds now are quite a lot lower. So you can make a little bit of an informed decision um, without being stuck thinking forever. Um, but that um, that definitely sort of evolved out of an initial idea, I guess. It wasn't quite as, 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 as awesome, frankly. Well, I personally was a big fan because... I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to say one of my favorite parts really is the pusher luck of seeing if I spread out my dice, I can potentially get more things. But by doing it, I could also hurt myself. Like that was probably my favorite part and what made it like a little different than the other worker placements I play. But in your opinion, like what makes your game sing? I, I think it's that it allows a lot of different approaches to play. It doesn't punish you for playing different from other players. So if you want to do that, spread yourself out and, and push your luck and someone else is being very cautious and methodical, you're both going to have a great experience in the game. Um, and, and the more I play with different personalities and watch that, the, the more I like the way that came together. Like just everyone finds something different to get excited about in either the mechanics or the theme or the, what they connect to in the game. And I, I think that's really cool. I also think it's really cool, but let's talk really cute little meeples, right? How do yeah. I was like, they're adorable animals. Did you get to choose what animals went into the game? Cause you got your Fox, your porcupine, your like squirrel, the rabbit and the raccoon. 
Um, I think I, I had some initial thoughts, but then what ended up happening was, um, and I'm pretty confident it was, it was Helena's call was we're going to specifically set this game in Algonquin park, which is, uh, an amazing park in Ontario in Canada. Um, and it's got like all this wilderness and, and so every animal in the game actually lives in Algonquin park in real life. Um, and oh, so cool. it's kind of how we narrowed it down from all the amazing cute things out there. Oh my God. I really like that though. I definitely got Canadian vibes when I saw the cover of your game. So I was like, well, makes sense. <laughs> Publishers and can't, yeah, all this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of fun to have that. Like it doesn't come out and say that, but once you know it, you're like, oh yeah, this is totally cool. This makes sense. <laughs> 100%. And then it's cool that your initial design, like you were already thinking about the different seasons, because I personally like I was a big fan of that game Bosk because it was like playing through the seasons. I've always enjoyed that as kind of a mechanic for different turns or uh, mm. phases of a game. And so I think it worked out really well in your game. Granted, I will say the first time I played your game. I should not have let my friends help me set up because they ended up mixing up the season cards a little bit. So (laughs) we had some wonky combos at different times, (laughs) but still super fun. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things when I, whenever I come in a game, I'm very narrative driven. And, and so to, to use that pre-built kind of, arc of spring summer fall was just a no-brainer for me like it's just yes because that's what's happening we're just walking through this year you know no totally I guess yeah so did it was it always supposed to be a worker placement game is that the first thing like what was the first thing you thought of when you started making this game um I the first thing that really I wanted to do was have that seasonality and that idea of different and like if, where you've got some control but like with the dice rolling that was important to me because if you're going to reflect living closer to like the land and to nature into the seasons you have to reflect the fact that you can't control everything right like you might want to go out and do this thing and it's pouring rain and and so that's kind of in my head. When you roll those dice, you've made your plans. Now let's see if the weather and everything cooperates with you. Um, and and so I think that was kind of where I started. Um, I did initially have some vague idea that you should move around the board and was trying to draw trails, and that just did not work. Um, but it didn't take long to land on essentially the mechanic that absolutely is still there. That's awesome that it started that early on. I feel like... It's hard to have that with the design some days, but I'm oh, glad yeah. that that happened. <laughs> it's, it's, I've had like Octopus Garden was the same, but I don't know if any other game I've worked on has come out like that. <laughs> How long do you think it took from like that initial inspiration to the publication of this game getting out to people? Um, I'd say that it was probably on and off for about eight years but I mean more off than on because I I had I moved provinces I changed careers I my kids grew up and left home like a lot happened in those eight years um and and that's one of the things I liked about game design as a as kind of a hobby was it's sometimes really good for a design to stick it on a shelf for six months so it didn't have to feel bad when I when I needed to yeah no I have looked at old projects and then was like, wow, first off, you become a better designer through the time. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And then in other ways, like when you get stumped and you're looking at something too closely, like when you ask Selena to look at your design, it's like you kind of need a breather to realize again, like, no, this is pretty good. Or, okay, parts of this is pretty good. Exactly. Yeah. And so in that sense, a long, slow simmer um, didn't hurt anything. Um, Because it's funny when people who don't know anything about board games, how long does it take you to make a game? I'm like, well, you know, some amount of time. Because I see, yeah, there's just no way to quantify that because of so many variables. But it it did simmer in my head and and on the table and off again for for quite a number of years. No, every time I get asked that question, I'm like, well, on average, maybe two years. But then I start to explain more, and they're like, oh my god, why would you <laughs> want to do this as a job? I'm like, because it makes me happy and it's fun. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's right. Something in your brain is just for me. It's puzzle solving. Every single design is a new puzzle to solve, right? And it just is is good that way. No, I definitely get that. When I was a little kid, I loved any kind of like puzzly contraption to play with or solve. And also my favorite form of exercise is rock climbing, which is just a physical puzzle. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So That's I can definitely awesome. second you on that. <laughs> but now that it's published, how do you think the game is doing? You know, it's it's kind of surreal. Like this, this game has just been so well received, and people love it so much. It every few days, I encounter someone posting a picture of it on social media. Like I'm not even tagged in it; it just goes across my screen of you know we played this this weekend. This was a lot oh, of fun, cool. or whatever. Like, and and that's just so delightful as a designer to see those moments of people hanging out with friends and family and 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 having a good time with something that you've you've made um and so yeah it it's it's really um heartening it it was kind of awesome and and also it's it's frustrating because it's the nature of all these things is is it people were really excited and then it sold out within like a week of the retail um games being available and so they're almost back in retail now and they sold out in like april so people are like yo where do i get your game i'm like with some patience (laughs) i mean hey but multiple print runs way to go exactly i get that that's yeah that supply and demand you're just really making that demand higher and higher i guess well that's it and it's awesome it's not like it's a bad thing it's just definitely um you wish you could say to people, oh, yeah, you can just order it here. And you're like, well, you will be able to, hopefully. Um, although <laughs> you can that's pre-order. Said, if you're COVID. excited to play it, you probably should grab it really quickly because I suspect the second print run's going to go through almost as quickly as the first one because there's a lot of interest in it, which is the first game I've done with that kind of interest. And it's it's really cool, but it is sort of it doesn't feel quite real. No, I remember walking around like Origins this year and I felt like your game was definitely one of the like highlighted ones that everyone went to go get. And I was like, this is so cool. But also because it wasn't like the first convention that it was at. And it's like Origins last year was pretty non-existent because of COVID. But this Mm. year it felt more like its normal self or close enough to it. And so it was really cool, like seeing pictures of your game and like seeing people walk around and holding it and stuff. And it's like the artwork is just awesome. I love their art on their oh, games. It's just delightful. Yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah. It definitely holds true to your uh, 
cute little creature comfort coziness because like it really is a cozy game like I've shown it to a few different friends and it's easy to learn and definitely like not a stressful game mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well you know because I, I I I think I design a lot in that direction of just thinking of all the times I want to sit and play with friends but I, you know, we don't want to think so hard. There's no room for conversation. And if someone doesn't game a lot, you don't want to like scare them off. And, and, uh, and so that's always in the back of my head about how can, how can this just be really welcoming? And I think that the creature comforts really just caught a lot of great pieces to make that, make that happen. No, I definitely agree. It is very calming and also i definitely was talking plenty while playing that game so and i still <laughs> lost which is probably why i lost because i was talking so much and they might have been concentrating more but it's fine <laughs> no. no so what would you say is your favorite and least favorite part of that experience in making this game um i, I think that this the thing that really caught me off guard that I really loved was so that was my first Kickstarter ever and um, it it was the first winter of the pandemic and this little community sprung up in the Kickstarter comments of people who never met each other were like logging on every day to talk to each other and getting excited because they come together to back this game. And I'd never seen anything like it. Um, And it was just delightful um, of of seeing, not only were they excited for this thing I made, but that somehow we accidentally created this little community um, at a time, I think, when people really needed that. And, And that was, and I think it was pretty unusual. I think that there was just a whole lot of, um, like serendipity in that. I'm curious to see if the Maple Valley Kickstarter has a similar thing happen in the comments or not. None of the other Kickstarters I've done since have, but um, nobody does community as well as KTBG. So, Yeah, that's so amazing. I haven't really heard of any other designer like describing something like that. If anything, I tend to hear during COVID, especially like people in the comments complaining that their game's not showing up or that like something's happened. There's there's more venting happening than like community building. So that's really cool. Yeah, it was it was really neat. Um, and I, I definitely liked that. And and I think that at the flip side of that was that at the same time, like Kickstarters are oddly stressful and um as neat as it is to be like refreshing the page and seeing where it's at all the time. It was, yeah, it's, it's kind of energizing, but I also don't really like it. (laughs) Just sort of a little bit sort of low grade stressful the whole time, but that's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's mostly good stress. Uh, Oh, good. And now you get to do it again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm actually, and I think I am also excited is, is, just yeah always that sort of will will people love the thing I've made right that's always in the back of your head definitely yeah because I mean I don't know about you but my favorite part is especially around Christmas time the thought that someone might actually open a present and get something I helped make right it's such a surreal feeling and it's like I don't have kids so I'm like who knows if I ever will but like those are my babies and people get to like enjoy them and the thought that like you're causing people to create these like memories Mm -hmm. is just such a 
surreal feeling. Yeah. You know, years ago, so when Octopus Garden was printed the first time, um, it it was just the start of people really doing like video reviews and having YouTube channels and whatever. And um, one of the only sort of video reviews that came out from that was um, a, a little girl at the time, who's probably a young woman now, um, her name was Serenity Deerheart, and she was probably six. and And she made her dad help her do this review because she loved the game so much. And I, I, I was just so over the moon because it was the first time I'd really seen this thing I'd made out in the wild like that with this little kid, like so excited to tell everyone about why she liked this game and i i'll never get tired of it but that really stuck with me that that first time i really saw that appreciation like that that is so freaking cute i love that so much i hope she's still making content (laughs) seriously i know i should go look and see because it was it was just really sweet and uh made me happy oh my gosh that would 100 percent. that would probably be saved as like a favorites on my browser like anytime <laughs> i'm having that hard day just like watch that video of this cute right? little six-year-old and be like yeah that's why i do this this is why i chose to make this my career yeah exactly oh that's so adorable so what other projects should fans be looking out for um, so it's, it's funny, I have a whole bunch of stuff right now that's like going to be public soon. <laughs> it isn't. But Octopus Garden will be coming into retail. Um, it's on the boat to North America. So f- before Christmas. Um, and that's, that's pretty exciting for people to finally get their hands on it. And then of course, the Kickstarter for Maple Valley, which is a standalone unique game set in the same world as Creature Comforts um, is on November 15th. It's going to launch on Kickstarter. Um, and yeah, then, you know, I, I, I'm i just dying to tell about all the other things coming, but I haven't gotten the go ahead yet. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know that life. But okay, can you talk a little bit about um just like Maple Valley and like what that game is like, cause it's set in the same realm, but it's not an expansion or anything. So can you tease mm-hmm. that a bit? For sure. So KTBG asked me to do a follow-up game, but they said, we don't want an expansion. We don't want worker placement. We want the same sort of setting and whatever and feel. And so I, um, I worked away at that and, uh, and definitely found it, challenging much shorter timeline and of course it's still not meeting in in a lot of ways because of covid so lots of working alone and on tabletop simulator which is not my friend but that said we um ended up with this game that i i love because it on the table looks really familiar to anyone who's played creature comforts and lots of the mechanics behave similarly but the core mechanics completely different so every player has um at the start of the game they have two little critter kid um cards in their hand and throughout the game they're going to add more of those as they move um a pawn which represents the little gang of friends um around the map of the sort of greater maple valley area that that creature comforts was set in and what they're doing is they're running favor doing favors for people getting ready for the village's big spring festival so instead of set over a number of seasons maple valley happens in a day and so we have this lovely um sun moving through the sky to track the rounds um 
And my favorite part of this game is that you have actually got two economies. You've got the, as we sort of come to expect, collect resources to make things economy that we're used to. But then we also have this like kid economy of these curiosities that they're called, which are the things kids find that are really cool that they shove in their pockets. And and, and the way that you add kids to your gang, we add cards to your hand is to spend these curiosities. So you're like, hey, look, I've got a beetle and two pretty rocks. And the guys, the other critters like, oh, my goodness, that's so cool. And then they come and like join you and hang out with you for the rest of the day. So I I love that there's this like separate the the curiosities don't have any extrinsic value except they're they're cool when you're a kid right and then you've got like yes but also if we collect some wood and some honey we can do this thing um and and i i love how that came together that is adorable literally one of my favorite memories that my mom told me about her childhood was how she would walk around the city of Chicago as a child finding like beer bottles and collecting beer bottles and just like bringing it into the attic with her and her friends. And that just makes me think of that. And that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, my, my oldest was the kind of child who, who would have a chunk of gravel in her pocket and, and, you know, go to do the laundry. She's like, where's my rock? <laughs> like, it's oh, just gravel. Oh no, it's important. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, see, that's, that's adorable. Okay, I'm super excited for this game. Yeah, so I I, I, I am too. I, I'm, I am very tickled with, again, the way that the parts came together and, and um, in the way that the story folds out as you play the games. So. so as a designer, what kind of advice would you give to other designers if they were to ask you, like if you could just choose one piece of advice, what would you give them? I think that the most helpful thing that I come back to over and over and over again is to make ugly prototypes that are as quick and dirty as you can and not be afraid to iterate because as soon as you spend more than five seconds on the art on a card, you don't want to get rid of it when it, f- when it turns out it's broken. <laughs> and, and so just holding it really, really loosely until you find that story that you're seeking. And that sounds so obvious, but it can be really hard. Even for people I know who are experienced designers, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I put way too much work into this for where it's at. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would probably be one of them. I'm not going to lie. My designs tend to look a little prettier than they should for rough prototypes. <laughs> I had the dubious honor of having a designer friend ask to keep one of my prototype cards to pin on his board to remind him to make ugly prototypes. Oh, wow. It was, was that like, ugly? <laughs> it's just not even that it was ugly. It's that I had, I don't even know if I'd found icons. I might have just used words or I had like, I really had not put, because I didn't need it yet. And I mean, that said, I still use spreadsheets and InDesign and run all my cards in batches because I'm not going to Sharpie 52 cards oh, or something. Oh, God, no. But um, definitely just really bare bones until it's time to not be bare bones. <laughs> Okay. Very good. I love it. Great advice. Well, perfect. And so for my last question, which is going to be unrelated to your games, but 
if you could be the designer of any game you did not design, which one would it be? It would have to be Wingspan for so many reasons. I firstly absolutely adore birds and I was hooked when I first saw this game was coming out with these cards that looked like a bird book and was just delightful. But even more than that, Wingspan and specifically the way Elizabeth has 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 just been such a champion for it's done so much for for encouraging women to get interested in designing and for encouraging people who didn't play games to get interested in playing games. I think it's its impact is just so huge and I, I can't think of a game I'd have been prouder to be involved with that I wasn't absolutely in any way. So it's really <laughs> funny because my answer has always been Wingspan. So twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> and I completely second that. It's amazing. It's like a game that's a role model. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it just continues to excite me to see more and more women's names showing up on game boxes and, and I, I just want to see more of that because I think that for, and I think even still to some degree, when you find women game designers, they tend to be making games for education or children. And there's literally nothing on earth wrong with that. But there's this huge market of players who want different stories. And I think a lot of us um, have different stories to tell. And and so seeing the diversity that comes into gaming when we bring more diverse voices to the design to do the designing is just exciting. So I I just want to see more and more of that. Oh my god, me too. I've been so excited because people have been receiving my game Her Story, which is like you're an author writing a quote unquote book, which is really just like set collection and like engine building and drafting or whatever about amazing women through history. And oh, already awesome. I've been getting tagged in posts about just like. How there's not a lot of games about women, but also the fact that when you look at the credits, it's like so many girls were involved, just like so many different women awesome. from different backgrounds. And it just like, it makes me so excited and so happy that hopefully like similar to Wingspan, people will look at that game and be inspired to like show up to game design, I don't know, meetups like I did when I was first starting out and stuff and they'll like want to stick around and like... Mm-hmm. We'll just eventually keep seeing more and more women in our industry and like seeing them on the fronts of boxes and just like seeing other like little six-year-olds starting YouTube channels and stuff. Like I want to see it on all ads. I want to see it in the media. I want to see it in the like designers. I want to see in illustrators. I just want to see more and more women. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so excited. So excited for the future of our industry. Mm-hmm. No, there's lots of really great stuff happening and, and it's, it, it's 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 having been doing this for weirdly enough over a decade now in one way or another there's so much change has happened and i'm excited to see that keep going because it's uh it's made so many more amazing opportunities for people whether they're players or whether they're involved in creating content so 100 percent, totally and honestly like thank you so much for joining um me and being on this podcast and stuff and like thank you to everyone else who joined us for game design unboxed inspiration to publication episode 49 creature comforts but for anyone trying to reach you online roberta where can they find you um best bet to find me is on twitter and i'm just realizing that i should probably double check that i remember my twitter handle and don't tell it too wrong <sighs> so it's infinite roberta 
um, on Twitter. And that's, that's, um, I'm not a super often poster, but if there's anything going on game design wise in my world, that's where you'll see it. Awesome. I love that so much. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. And if you're trying to find me on social media, you can check out my Instagram and Twitter under the username token gamer. And that's spelled G A Y M E R. But thanks again. This was a great talk. And I'm super excited for the next chapter in your games and also just the other games that you can't talk about. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.